This is Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having their say on the air. Tuning you into the Latino literary renaissance in all its splendor. Interviews, teatro, rap, fiction, poetry, memorias, composer spotlights, and more. Always mas. Hi, this is Tony Diaz, El Libro Traficante, author of The Tip of the Pyramid, Cultivating Community Culture Capital. You're tuning into Nuestra Palabra. You might be experiencing it first on social media. Maybe you're watching the video on fox26houston.com, or maybe you're listening to the audio on 90.1 FM, KPFT, Houston's community station. And if you are, I got to remind our listeners that we are a community radio station. So if you can, please budget a donation to KPFT 90.1 FM. In the name of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers have in their say, you can go to kpft.org or dial, old-fashioned style, 713-526-5738. But today, today is the exact reason that our show exists, because I promise you, there is no other show on, on FM a corporate media that's going to talk about what we're talking about today. I'm going to introduce our guest first. It's a wonderful lineup. But let me give you the context. Today, this is a preview and post you because after you experience the panel and the exhibit, you're going to come back and, and dwell on some of these words. The panel is called Images and Words, Media's Influence on the Struggle for Civil Rights. That will take place at the Rothko Chapel, January 15th, 2023 at 3 p.m. That is part of their annual Martin Luther King Day celebration. But that's also inspired by the Museum of Fine Arts exhibit, Gordon Parks, Stokely Carmichael and Black Power. And that exhibit is right now until the day after the panel, uh, but it lives on. And this is all informed by three books. So I'm gonna introduce our guests and talk about their books because they're all brilliant in their own right. We're just going to get to touch on some topics, unpeel some layers, and you're going to have to experience every facet to really get a, a full dose of all this. So today we have with us uh, Lisa Volpe. She's curator and photographer at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Uh, you put together the exhibit, and actually you also write in the book that accompanies the exhibit, which is powerful. So thank you for joining us, Lisa. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to be here. That's fantastic. And then we also have Devin Allen. His book is amazing. No Justice, No Peace from Civil from the Civil Rights Movement to Black Lives Matter featuring photographs by Gordon Parks. It really is a fantastic, powerful book. But he is capturing some of the same struggles that Gordon Parks was uh, approaching, updating it, but also honoring it. Devin, Thank you so much for joining us all the way from Baltimore. Uh, yep, still in Baltimore right now. Thank you so much for, uh, for having me. Super excited about this conversation. Fantastic. And I will give a shout out to uh, Mikkel Raz Russo. She's program director at the, at the Gordon Parks Foundation. She's not with us right now. She will be on the panel. And obviously the Gordon Parks Foundation plays a big role in preserving uh, the works of Gordon Parks. But I also want to say hi right now to uh, Kelly Johnson. 
She's an arts and culture organizer, curator, and writer. Basically, everybody today on the show is a writer in some way, shape, or form. So listen to that, folks. <laughs> we're, we're the base of the movement. Uh, she's director of public programs at the Rothko Chapel, and she's been pivotal in bringing this together. So uh, thank you so much for joining us tonight. Thanks, Tony. And I tell you what, we have you on screen. Uh, I want everybody maybe to say just uh, for one minute a little bit about about the uh, the exhibit, why it came together. But then the the first big question I want to tackle will be with uh, with Devin, kind of relating the struggle that Gordon Parks was uh, documenting, and in, in my view, humanizing Stokely Carmichael, while um, the this powerful magazine of Life magazine portrays him in a certain way, and corporate media reduces him to, to one facet. Seems that that struggle is still going on as, as conveyed in uh, Devin's work. But we'll say hi to we'll say hi and get a word from uh, Kelly, then Lisa, and then we'll get a hi from Devin and, and let him uh, break that down. But uh, Kelly, first of all, uh, give us a quick overview of why this panel and why this exhibit really caught the attention of the Rothko Chapel. Absolutely. Well, so every year the Rothko Chapel uh, hosts a program to celebrate and continue uh, exploring the legacy of Dr. King's work. Um, in the civil rights movement. And uh, we kind of leave it open um, each year to kind of see what's bubbling up uh, in conversation or what are urgent issues that are coming up that we want to talk about. So we had, um, we've been uh, exploring this idea of looking at the media's role in shaping civil rights movements. And um, the executive director of the Rothko Chapel, David Leslie and I had both gone to the exhibition kind of separately. We were both really inspired by it, thought it was incredible. Um, we're kind of sitting around the table trying to decide what we want to do and we figure this is the perfect way to kind of bring out this uh, topic and further the conversation, um, focusing on photography uh, and writing. Um, so we called up Lisa to see uh, what we could do and here we are uh, now uh, just a couple days away. That's fantastic and I'm really uh, honored to be the moderator for that event and I think that's one more way that you're appealing to the whole intersectionality of it and the new media of it. I mean, here we are on you know, all these different platforms, uh, right? Talking about the legacy of the corporate media. So in the end, we win, right? Okay. <laughs> so thank you. Uh, let's bring on Lisa because um, you're a curator. And if folks don't understand the power of, uh, of curating, um, I think what's really fascinating is that as we were talking earlier, um, when folks go see the Stokely Carmichael exhibit, these were negatives that were archived. But when you walk in, you get to see them, um, you know, in their full glory. You had some films that really caught my attention. You connected to Houston. How much of that did you have to interpret it? How much of that was ready to plug and play? Oh, uh, none of it was ready to <laughs> plug and play. Um, this uh, Life magazine essay that the entire exhibition was based around um, from May 19th, 1967, had five of Gordon Parks's images in it, along with his entire essay profiling Stokely Carmichael. And since the publication of that uh, essay in Life, the negatives have never been really looked at again. Um, so I all thanks goes to the Gordon Parks Foundation for preserving his legacy, for keeping these negatives so that, you know, this many years later, when a curator from Houston goes after them, you know, that's what they hand me. And I have Parks's words 
and more than 700 negatives. And this is just the attempt to really put Parks's full vision, his full understanding of Stokely Carmichael as a full person on the walls of the museum. And the videos were really important too, because one of the things that Parks talks about, and I think our panel will certainly touch on, is in the struggle for civil rights, what is the role of words and what is the role of images? And so to have them, you know, Carmichael giving speeches next to Parks' amazing Mm. photographs is so important. It it is, and it really is powerful to see him um, in action. And if we don't get to it in the panel, again, I want to remind folks, this is just one facet of so many. Um, I kind of want to provide a context, but let's just talk and and we'll keep talking to the panel and people need to go see the exhibit. But two two quick things come to mind. Um, I love that you point out that, that, you know, uh, it's pointed out that he he was a poet. He was a writer. Gordon Parks was a poet and a writer. Let's let's park that there. But Mm -hmm. also... Um, I think what you're doing is so important um, because and with the Museum of Fine Arts Houston having this exhibit is very important and the uh, Gordon Parks Foundation. Um, reading your book, uh, I, saw, I saw that first paragraph for, and, and, you know, I'm a writer. So when I, I'm like, this editor, that editor's opening paragraph is just a hint of what that whole profile could have looked like if it wasn't Gordon Parks fighting to breathe life into that figure. Uh, to, before we get to Devin, Give folks a little intimation of what that opening paragraph is like and how your your exhibit counters that. Well, you know, uh, Stokely Carmichael at the time in the press, the popular white press, is portrayed as this figure of racial violence and racial division. And from the opening paragraph of the Life magazine essay, that is very clear because the editors, it seemed, were a little uncomfortable with how generously Parks treated him, really showing him as a full human. And so they add a little introduction. I was never able to find out what editor wrote that, by the way, but they added a little introduction that really feeds into that exact narrative that was out there. You know, they were use words like angry and slashing his arms and, you know, yelling at the audience. Um, and then Parks's essay kicks in right after that introduction. And it's a completely different take. It really shows every side of this young man who's in this leadership position. So my, and it's also vital that he wrote the the, the piece as well because that was another part of his argument. So so thank you, Lisa. And on that note, I wanna I wanna bring in Devin, and uh, you know I wanna sing praises to your book, No Justice, No Peace, from the Civil Rights Movement to Black Lives Matter. And I gotta tell folks they need to pick up the book because you are archiving um, this moment. Um, you are a self-taught photographer world-class photographer from the community. Um, I would call it, you're, you're basically cultivating community cultural capital. Uh, so first of all, congratulations on your work. Um, and and um, you mentioned how much uh, Gordon Parks means to you. 
tell us a little bit about that and tell us a little bit about that struggle to humanize. In, in the case of the exhibit, Stokely Carmichael, maybe in the case of your work, Black Lives Matter, but really community in general. Yeah, definitely. You know, Gordon, you know, when I, I decided to be a photographer, I didn't know anything about it. You know, I think I, I Googled famous black photographers and he was the first person that popped up and I saw his stalking images of how he shot the gangs in Harlem and where he was able to, some of his work from Muhammad Ali and then he had that pipe in his mouth. He just was so cool. And I said, I want to be this guy one day. But what really interested me in Gordon's work and how he was able to control the narrative and also uh, become one with the community, you know, he look at Gangs of Harlem, which really inspired me coming from a place like Baltimore, where we never have controlled our narrative. You know, when people talk about Baltimore, they think about the wire. So Gordon said the camera was a weapon. And, and that's what I wanted to do, too. You know, going through the death of Freddie Gray and everything that happened at the Baltimore uprising, you know, I wanted to take that narrative back because for so many communities similar to Baltimore, you have, once again, media telling us who we are, what we are, and how we, re we react. So I took a page out of Gordon's book, you know, out of his work, and it really amplified the lens. And I wanted to be the voice for my community and using the lens to speak for other people that usually do not get to speak for themselves. That's so powerful. And you talk about it in the book. Of course, your your work is testament to that. If you could tell our listeners and viewers a little bit more about your, your trajectory, um, because you were, like you say, you were more interested in telling the story of your community and you were there during some of these important moments in the movement. You you weren't it, you not care what the corporate media had, but you were beating them to the punch through social media as well. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about that? Um, yeah, you know, um, I, like I said, I'm self-taught. My grandmother bought my first camera in 2013, and I watched YouTube videos. I studied Gordon Park, Jamel Shabazz, Anthony Barboza, you know, and what I learned from media, you know, if it bleeds, it leaves. And I and we've seen what happened in Ferguson. You know, my first protest was in 2014. And Baltimore is a place that they we organize and we we stand, you know, in solidarity with a lot of other communities. And so when Freddie Gray happened, my thing was I was going to use social media to control the narrative because I already knew with media and the story that was going to build. They want to talk about our crime rate, the murders, the drugs, um, lead paint poisoning, all the issues that we have in our community. Um, and, and, and so what I did was I actually would shoot pictures on my phone and Wi-Fi them to my camera. So by the time media started reporting, I was already getting the photos to Twitter and Instagram and the work started to go viral. And that's how Time Magazine found my work. And I actually became like the point person for so many different social platforms. I was able to take the narrative back and actually control it and say, this is what's happening and this is why. You know, through the photography and in, and, and in a sense, give platforms to local organizers and activists for me being on the ground, I got to bridge that gap, which led to the cover time magazine, you know, and in turn, I understood how powerful I was. So I started teaching photography, you know, so it can be more accessible for other, for the next generation, because photography is a powerful tool, which we've seen used multiple times through war and famine and, you know, go and use the camera to, to highlight anything that did not, he did not agree with from poverty to, you know, everything so i wanted to do that for baltimore and um you know in, in a sense it changed the way people looked at photography and how editors and and places like time in new york would look at art and photography 
That's powerful. And um, before I bring our pan uh, the other panelists all together, I do want to ask you about intersectionality um, for a couple reasons. One, um, you know, we don't have African American history and Mexican American history in all schools um, because we don't then have those models to learn from. And you went and learned from Gordon. You found his work and learned from him. So that's powerful. Um, and I think if we had more of our history and culture in schools, that would help so many of our youth, so many of our, our community members. But what I also want to point out is that um, you are about intersectionality. In your book, you've got a great voice of a Chicana feminist. And I get, want to give a shout out to uh, Texas State Representative Christina Morales, who presented a bill, HB 45, here in Texas, that would make African-American history and Mexican-American history count towards high school graduation requirements. Uh, Devin, um, why did you want to include a Chicana feminist voice in your book? Um, yeah, I come from a uh, predominantly black, you know, community. You know, we really, I really didn't interact with anyone outside of, you know, the um, my black people in my community, you know, until I got older and I found art. What I found from art, you know, and photography, I met so many just amazing people. So when I started working on my book, I wanted to make sure I try to include as many voices that I can, you know, and I and I might not understand everything or everyone's plight, but I do know a lot of us, most of us all want the same thing is to be free, to be treated with respect. And and I, I feel like um, that collaboration um, has been happening for generations and is not talked about. Mm -hmm. you, you can look at Gordon, how he's how he collaborated and how, you know, you know, people collaborate with the Black Panthers. You know, it's mm -hmm. always been a collaboration and people don't talk about it. But I know when I was on the ground, um, it was so many different people from different ethnic groups that stood with us that that and that showed love and, and, and transparency and that was there for me. So I always wanted to use my platform to make sure that to be used to work as a vehicle to give voice to everyone, you know, because we all want the same thing to be free, to be respected, you know, and and, and I think in this journey, I think the powers that be will rather see us divided than together. We are more powerful mm -hmm. together. Mm -hmm. And I tell you what, if, if folks are watching and they want to know how to keep students enthralled in school, if, if they heard Devin talking right now and, and we're you know, going through his book and seeing his pictures, they would not leave class. Let's bring uh, Lisa and Kelly on screen here. Uh, Lisa, I've seen you shaking your head. I can see folks. I, I'm just going to stop asking questions and let folks flow. Lisa, how much of this speaks to you as you were going over those negatives and saying, OK, I got to bring this and I got to bring that in? Yeah. Uh, it's amazing the community that was necessary for any movement to you know exist and one of the things i set as a goal for myself in uh, curating this exhibition was i wanted to talk to every single person in those photos that was still with us and hear their stories and show them the photos and get their memory because it's not my moment um, it's their moment and make sure that those stories were visible on the walls alongside, you know, Gordon's work. So it, you know, it was just so important. And then digging into Houston's history and knowing exactly that, that, you know, the uh, People's Party here couldn't have existed mm -hmm. without, you know, other groups in town. It was just, yeah, I'm just shaking my head. I was clapping in the background. <laughs> Thumbs up. It was everything. <laughs> And by the way, I mean, the, uh, that sort of uh, uh, love for the topic, appreciation of the art, that shows in the exhibition for folks that have not had a chance to, to see it. Uh, 
Kelly, is this what you wanted on your observation for MLK's birthday for the Rothko Chapel? Is this what you're thinking? Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, one of our goals at the Rothko Chapel is to bring together um, art and social justice. So bringing writers, photographers, curators, program directors together uh, to explore these topics and talk about what we're all working on. Um, I'm really excited to for, for folks to hear, like, we were having a pre-planning call. We were talking about the power of social media. You're talking about the power of um, teaching the arts, um, as well as something that's coming to mind. As Devin was talking, is he had mentioned um, in a previous conversation we were having about this idea that, um, you know, it takes all of us. It takes all of us and all of our whatever skills we have to bring to our communities and to our movements um, to show up. It's not just about, you know, being out on the streets. While that is very important, it's also about taking pictures and, you know, writing articles. So that's very important for us at the Rothko Chapel to, you know, continue spreading that message as much as we can. And um, we've mentioned the, the role of Houston. Uh, let, let's brag on Houston a little bit. Uh, Lisa, you went out of your way to, to show the Houston side. And then also, uh, Devin, you, you archived the story of George Floyd as well, who's from Houston as well. You want to talk a little bit about that? One thing that photography, I feel like collaboration and just writing in different art forms just mirror. And the biggest thing with my book is like, I've had a friend murdered by police. You know, I, I understand like how a person can be demonized using media. And, I, and my friend wrote this beautiful article about George Floyd because it was like, we all know George Floyd had the effect us all, but we don't know George Floyd. So the essay in the book really talks about he was an artist himself and talking about the rap culture and, and DJ Screw. And mm -hmm. how impactful that was for him, you know, kind of humanizing him. He was more than just a dead body. He was a father. He was a man. He lived. He created, you know, and that's kind of like the essay that, you know, why I selected it and had my friend put it into the book. Tell us a little bit more about how you you chose the different uh, photos and essays for the book. It's a, it's a beautiful book. Uh, powerful photos, fantastic essays, poems. Um you put a lot of care into that. You want to tell us a little more, more about how you brought the book together? And I want to say the name of the book again and have Roxana bring it up. No Justice, No Peace, From the Civil Rights Movement to Black Lives Matter. Um, yeah, you know, like it was one of those things. Like I literally didn't know what I was doing when I started. You know, I found my voice. Photography gave me my platform. And in a sense where I used to think that I couldn't make any change or change anything in my community. But with the camera and the lens, I was able to start you know, making powerful work that inspired, it was a call to action. And, and it's been a journey just learning, you know, um, and navigating this space, meeting so many different type of activists, so many different type of organizers. Mm -hmm. You know, you touched on it earlier, writers, different creatives that inspire mm -hmm. us. We all have these different walks of life. And, and I've been learning, you know, as, as I go. So when I started, when I started putting this book together and selecting writers, I really wanted to try to build something that is it's not about me, but it's like all these different ism and pathways and different layers to this thing that we want, you know? And ideally, a lot of it was really inspired from going to a Black Trans Lives Matter march. And mm. people were upset in Baltimore, like, why do they have to have a march of their own? And why they want to be, you know, but they did it because they were not being, they, did, they, they felt that they wasn't being seen. They wasn't, people wasn't showing up. And, and, and when I went to this protest, 
my peers and people that I've marched with for years were not there. And it, it saddened me. And even though we might not understand everything, you don't have to understand everything. But I just know how it feels as a black man to not be heard. And I want to make sure that when I did this book and when I do my photograph that even if I don't understand something, I'm going to use my platform to make sure that I can uplift your voice. You know, and that's essentially what inspired me when I made sure that you, everyone can, can connect to something in this book. You know, and that's what I really wanted because I've been influenced by so many different spaces now that I'm still figuring it out. But it's, it's been a beautiful journey. On the Houston note, uh, Lisa, tell folks a little bit about how Houston plays a role in the exhibit. Uh, well, the life essay was published on May 19th, 1967, as I said already. And just a few days later, Carmichael was here in Houston um, speaking at both U of H and TSU because of um, the student activism going on here in Houston at the time. Um, and we have a section in the exhibition dedicated to that, um, showing the actual footage of Carmichael speaking here in uh, Houston. And then an iPad put together by Brittany Livingston, shout out to Brittany, um, who really dug into Houston archives to present every angle of the story from those months in 1966 mm -hmm up to the invasion of TSU in 1967. And it is powerful to see Stokely Carmichael in his own words. Um, we were chatting earlier um, about, you know, people may forget what a young man he was. He was in his early 20s. 25 years old and his name is in the New York Times literally on a daily basis at this moment. Um, there's your book right there. <laughs> I'm, I'm going to get both my books signed when we meet in person. Okay. <laughs> um, yeah. But yeah, so young, and energetic and brilliant. So young, energetic, brilliant. And um, he could not have been more clear about the message of black power. Absolutely. But it, you know, the media refused to hear it, um, was so disturbed by the words black and power being together. Um, there's a really fascinating article in the New York Times about two days after Carmichael announces Black Power on the stage in Greenwood, Mississippi, that basically says if it was just about Black political power, there would be nothing to quarrel about. But we know there's something more ominous involved. And it's just like, and that's what starts it. You know, that's what kicks off all this, you know, misdefinition, misunderstanding that really continues to, to, to today. There's another clip too where he's at a press conference and the press is badgering him, trying to get to get the sound bite from him. And he really is, you know, um, I say this a lot about our young activists. They gotta be lawyers too. You know? <laughs> and he doesn't, he won't go there, he, but they're like pushing him, pushing him, pushing him. Um, you also have Gordon Parks talking at the Museum of Fine Arts Houston. Yes, so, you know, I. Throughout the exhibition, I have my two characters, you know, always front and center, Parks and Carmichael and the interaction between them. And so when we have video of Carmichael here in Houston, we want a video of Parks here in Houston. We have a wonderful one of Gordon Parks coming here to Houston to speak for an exhibition. Um, and I should say, if you missed the beginning of that talk, because he, he talked for quite a long time, had the audience in the palm of his hand the whole time, but he starts that talk by saying like, he feels like he's home in Houston. And I love that.
And I, I will say this to mark um, the the birth date of Martin Luther King. Um, we, sh we should just state a fact that he is one of the leading intellectuals, speakers, thinkers of American history. And it is wonderful to have our community treated as intellectuals um, because Stokely Carmichael was an intellectual. I mean, j just to see him um, beat at intellectual chess, the mainstream media of his time is exciting. Um, uh, 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 Devin, so you're very active on social media still and photography as well. I know you're very uh, involved in community. Right now, what, what does the what does your work look like right now and how people how can people stay in touch with you besides uh, watching <laughs> the live stream with a panel? <laughs> <Bye -bye. laughs> uh, yeah, you know, um, I've dedicated my work to just making my community better, you know, in Baltimore, you know, a lot of my work is centered around, you know, I started as an amateur. My career took off really, really, really fast, but I try to use my platform like I teach. I'm currently teaching at International Center of Photography in New York. I'm really big on, you know, teaching the next generation of power photography where when people think about photographers, they don't think about activists or think about people that you can make social change with it. When in, when in turn, when you're able to control your narrative, you're, in, you're very, very powerful. And, um, so I spend a lot of my time teaching in Baltimore, traveling, teaching, wow. giving out cameras. I think I've given out like, I stopped counting at 600, but wow. I literally drive around with cameras in my car. I mentor, I teach. Um, now currently on a book tour, you know, partnering with people. Um, always just trying to give back. So you can always find me on Instagram. A lot of my work is just everyday life in Baltimore, looking at gentrification and changing of landscape and, you know, really using my platform to, you know, you know, essentially, you know, try to save as many kids. We have a really high murder rate. You know, a lot of my kids that I work with are in danger. Uh, some of my kids have been shot. I've lost kids. So I really try to, you know, I'm one of the guys that made it out of the, you know, out of my circumstances. So I really try to keep 10 toes on the ground and constantly trying to give back you know, while expanding my portfolio. And I tell you what, since you're on book tour, we have to touch bases again to bring you out for uh, another book signing. And um, I do want to mention that there is a new era of book banning and the struggle is not over. Um, there is a Texas representative, uh, Matt Krauss, who last, uh, who, who uh, last legislative session uh, produced a list of 850 books that he wanted banned. But if you go through that list, if a book had Black Lives Matter in the title, he wanted it banned. So, so your work is even more important than ever. Um, do, do me a favor. Tell me just about a quick exchange where you're handing a camera to, to, to a young person. Oh, man. Break it down. What's that like? <laughs> man, um, I think it's amazing, you know, like where I come from. One thing, art is what's not offered. And I find, I find that so common in a lot of, uh, you know, Black communities where it's not a lot of funding. Art is the last thing that's on the list. You know, so when I tell kids like, oh, you can make a career out of this and, and you can able to do these things, you know, um, like one of my kids got accepted to NYU for a ride. Nice. You know, um, one of my kids, one of my kids is literally at Baltimore School of the Arts right now where Tupac and Jada Smith went. Um, I have this um, when I give them to them, you know, they they I think the biggest thing is I come from where they come from. And I think that's really, really important that I can everything that I've been through, they've been through similar things or going through similar things that to, to have somebody, you know, they look at me, they think I'm a superstar. And it's like receiving a camp and that mentorship really pushes them and drives them, you know, and, and that's the biggest thing. I have an amazing photographer right now that I'm I'm mentoring who's like killing it right now. And um, I think he's going to be the next coming of me, you know, mm -hmm. and, I, and I'm pushing him really, really, really hard. You know, when it's all said and done, you know, 
when I lay my head down, I don't want it to be like, oh, Devin was a major photographer. I want I want people to be like, oh, this, he birthed a thousand photographers mm -hmm. and like all these amazing activists. And when I'm like no longer can hold a camera, you know, and like, you know, if you look at like images of Gordon when he's older, where he he literally gave people, you know, voices, you know, Robert Houston, who was a mentor to me, who documented the poorest people campaign, who also shot Malcolm X and Martin King, who's from um, East Baltimore. Um, Rob, he snuck into Gordon Parks' office and got his portfolio review. And then Gordon Parks said, you don't have enough pictures of people, which you don't like people. And Robert Houston said, I can take them and leave them. And Gordon said, well, if you want to be in this business, you better take them. And he got one of his first assignments from Gordon Parks. And, you know, to to, to um, you know, be mentored by him. It's just, you just, Gordon was really good at passing that that legacy down and I'm doing nothing but continuing the work of Gordon and Roy De Carrera and all those other amazing artists. So I just want to make sure that the next generation continue to fight when I'm too old to hold a camera. Kelly, can you mention one more time the, the details of the panel and uh, how to stay in touch with what the Rothko Chapel, the great work it continues to do. It really is an amazing place. Yes, absolutely. So uh, the panel will take place this Sunday, uh, January 15th, 3 o'clock Central Time. Um, you can join us in person at the Rothko Chapel in Houston or uh, via live stream from wherever you're at across the world. We'd love to have you um, and uh, we'd love to, for you to register. We'll just send you reminders, the link to the live stream. And you can do that on our website at rothgochapel.org. There it is, as well as um, you can see our calendar of other upcoming events. We've got a lot of exciting stuff, including our Farenthold lecture on the abortion bans, um, as well as our 2023 Oscar Romero Awards honoring uh, grassroots activists um, in the U.S. for their work on civil rights. So come, come hang out with us. Come see us. Viva Oscar Romero. Awesome. And for folks who may stumble upon this after the exhibits um, or stumble upon the podcast later, uh, don't don't punish yourself or beat yourself up. Enjoy it because this stuff is there's some folks that want to keep us from this. And uh, we're going to give Lisa the, the last word because your testament to um, only art can save us and something from 50 years ago that could have actually really damaged how our communities are perceived. You know, an artist fought for it then, and here are artists still fighting for it now. So it's not about that one-shot deal. It's about this legacy. Uh, close us out with talking about the legacy of, of, of what you've archived, but also the role of art in, in all these different institutions and the people in it. Oh, my gosh. What a, what a thing to talk about again. In I 10 mean, words. No, you got more than 10. <laughs> I mean, it's what brings us all together here, you know, it's funny because just the other night, uh, I, you know, and we all have bad days at work and I had kind of a bad day and I was saying to my husband, I need to remind myself why I do this work. And it's so that I can provide the megaphone for artists so I can tell people what a superstar Devin Allen is so that I can show people the magic of Gordon Parks's work so that I can change, you know, we can change lives, art has that power to do these things and to be in a position where I set up the situation to put it on the walls is the privilege of my life. And so, you know, 
I love putting my head down at night too and thinking that, you know, people have enjoyed this exhibition, that they've gone home with new perspectives and new understandings and new critique of popular media. Mission accomplished. So thank you all for joining us, all the work that you do. Uh, this is Tony Diaz, Libre Traficante. On behalf of Nuestra Palabra, Latino writers having to say, I want to thank our crew, our multi-platform producer, Roxana Guzman, our audio producer, Rodrigo Bravo, our graphics designer, uh, who's out there, Adam Ortiz, Altoliana Lopez, and all of you for tuning in. Thank you so much. This is Tony Diaz. I want to thank Roxana Guzman, who is our producer for our social platform broadcast. Also, Rodrigo Bravo, who mixes our show and audio for KPFT 90.1 FM. Mark Andre Pignon is our graphics designer. Ramos Ortiz is in charge of our search engine optimization. And of course, you, dear listeners, are always supporting us. Thanks a lot, and we look forward to seeing you at the arts.